Good morning. So the question is raised, in the midst of our ordinary life, we're going through the motions, we're doing what's expected, we've made all of our adjustments, we're on the hamster wheel faithfully, life is flowing, and we're in that flow. But then what happens when the interruption comes? When the interruption that disrupts our normal life, our normal ongoing everyday life, how do we respond? Do we let the devil whisper fear in our ear and then resist that interruption because it threatens to take our control away from ourselves? What would it mean to consent to the interruption and to go with it knowing that we go with God? That the interruption is in fact a gift in God's strange economy and not a threat. Well, we look at Abraham and he's living that normal everyday life as a good sheep herder. He's, he's in a good clan. He's, a, he's got kinsmen. He's in Ur of the Chaldees, modern day Iraq. And in the midst of his everyday ongoing life, he gets that interruption that disrupts everything. And he interprets it as God's call. God's call to leave the known world, everything that's familiar, and to go by God's call into the unknown, into a distant land. What Abraham does is he consents. He says yes to that call, that interruption. And he picks up everything and takes his family and moves to Israel where he trusted that God was with him. Faith was a verb for Abraham. He faithed. God's presence so that wherever he was, even in, an, in the unknown, God was with him, God was blessing him, and that through him the world would be blessed. Paul holds up Abraham as the exemplar, the prototype of faith. As Paul wrote, wrote in, in Romans, Abraham believed God, and that was reckoned to him as righteousness. In other words, he trusted, he, he intuitively knew that God was with him, for him, not against him, not cursing him, even though everything around him was disrupted. And that Right relationship with God is what constitutes, according to Paul, faith. Now when we fast forward to Nicodemus, we see a similar story. We see that 
Nicodemus is an esteemed elder of the people. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the supreme court of Israel. He's at the top of his game. He's got all the political and social and religious power that you could have in such a time. And then comes Jesus. And in the chapter just before today, Jesus, remember, had cleansed the temple in John's gospel. Nicodemus is a keeper of the temple. And yet, Jesus seems to be in touch with God in a singular way. There's something about Jesus that stirs Nicodemus' heart. He has an intuition that in Jesus, God is happening in a singular way. So he's curious, he's intrigued, he's interested, but he has to go to Jesus by night because Jesus is seen by his colleagues as a subversive interruption that needs to be stopped, not consented to. So he comes to Jesus and they have this banter back and forth like good rabbis have. And Jesus makes it clear that dear Nicodemus, you whose heart is burning, they connected. Jesus knows that, that Nicodemus is there open, not testing, as so many of the other leaders do. And so they connect in, in, a, in a beautiful way and, and Jesus makes it clear that to be in God's kingdom, it's not enough just to be born of flesh. We're all born of the flesh. We're all mortals. No, the interruption of grace that comes from God uh, constitutes being born from above, born anew from above. Heaven gets in. And that eternal part of Nicodemus stirred and connected with the eternal life that Jesus was promising. They do banter. How can this be, Lord? Can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus uses that, that Greek word anathen, which can be seen as a double entendre. It can be born again or born anew or born from above, from heaven. And so that's the back and forth pun. But what's being discussed here is the mystery of God and God's spirit that blows where it will and, and comes in unexpected ways through unexpected people and events and things. And what do we do in such times? We can resist, we can consent. Our Lenten gospel suggests for this second Sunday in Lent that, that to say yes 
to that, that call, to that eternal part within ourselves, is to be faithful, not fearful. You know, a few weeks ago, I was, uh, I went to the bank, and I got some cash. I needed, I needed a, uh, some cash for later that afternoon, so I got three $100 bills, and then I drove to the east part of Austin where I was going to have lunch with a friend, but I was early. So I went to the Old City Cemetery, Oakwood, right there at MLK across from Dish Falk. And my family is buried there. Going back to 1880. And, and there's, a, there's a plot uh, as big as this area. And, and, and there's a, a, a gravestone uh, from all of my kin including my great-grandfather, John Daniel, John D. Kenny. And I remember my dad, uh, who was 18 at Pearl Harbor and became uh, a pilot instructor in the Army Air Corps, I remember dad telling me that when his grandfather died in 1943, John D., that dad was given a furlough to attend the funeral. So there I am, and I'm looking at that gravestone, imagining my dad, who died five years ago, standing there for his beloved grandfather. So I'm caught up in all of this. And then out of the blue, this man approaches me, and I was irritated. It was an interruption. And so I, I instinctively closed off he says, hey, man, you, you like the cemetery too, huh? And I knew he lived on the streets mostly by the way he talked and the way he dressed. And, and, and so I'm immediately assuming he wants some dough. So I said, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to go meet somebody for lunch. And I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm here with, hey, man, he interrupts. Have you seen where the Confederate soldiers are buried? It's at that far end. Oh, and, and the ex-slaves. The slaves are over there in the unmarked graves. I'm just going, yeah, well, that's cool. And pretty soon we're talking. And I'm opening up just enough. And yet I'm, I'm also walking to go to my car, to go to lunch. And as we get to my car, he says... Hey, man, any chance you can feed a hungry soul? Now, earlier that morning when I woke up, before I went to the bank, I was reading my favorite French mystic, Simone Weil, W-E-I-L, and she gave me this image of God who stands before us as a beggar, waiting for us to open our hearts waiting, standing before us, waiting for a crumb. God stands before us as a beggar? Jesus stands before Nicodemus, waiting, inspiring, breathing upon him, hoping. 
So when he asked me for some money, I pull out my wallet, but guess what? There's only $100 bills. So I pull one out. I had no choice at this time because I was called and I knew God was calling me and I gave it to this man and he gave me the hug of my lifetime. God hugged me in that man. Well, our gospel calls us to be open to the interruption, not to let the devil whisper fear in our ear. And when the unexpected comes that disrupts everything, let's consider what it would mean to consent, to go with the necessity that is upon us, that is forced upon us, that can grind us in its gears and crush us and bring us great affliction. What does it mean to have faith in such times? To stay open, to stay trusting, knowing that God is with us even though our foundations are shaken. That's the biblical picture of, of who we are, of what faith means. And I want to close with, um, well, it's just hard not to read this. From T.S. Eliot, he wrote Choruses from the Rock. It was a, a dramatic play that he uh, wrote in about 1934. The endless cycle of idea and action, endless invention, endless experiment, brings knowledge of motion, but not of stillness. Knowledge of speech, but not of silence. Knowledge of words and ignorance of the word. All our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. All our ignorance brings us nearer to death. But nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? And I'll give John the last word. Because God so loved us that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen.